right, well, today we are continuing uh, in our series, The Seven Letters to the Seven Churches in the Book of Revelation. Today is the last um, of the letters that we're going to be looking at. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3, uh, we're going to be looking at the letter of the Lord to the church at Laodicea. How many are familiar with this passage of Scripture, the, the letter to the Laodicean church? Raise your hand if you're familiar, you've read this, you're familiar with this message. So this is a, this is a, this is a hard letter that Jesus sent to, to a church. And, uh, and so if you're familiar with it, you kind of know what's teeing up this morning. Um, and, and if you're not, may God give us grace today. Amen. So Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, says this, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The word Amen means let it be so. It's a statement of affirmation, and Jesus is saying that He is the Amen. That He is the fulfillment of the Word of God. That He is the Word of God being fulfilled in His life, in His ministry. In fact, in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word is, who is the Word? It's Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So He is kind of putting an exclamation point after His life, saying, I am the Word, I am the Amen, I am the faithful and true witness, I am the embodiment the glory of God on earth in human flesh. Verse 5, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Father, we just pause to ask for your grace today. Lord, you'll help us to understand what were you saying to this church at Laodicea? And Lord, what are you saying to us today? Because your word is alive. Your word is alive, Lord God. So speak to us today in Jesus' name. That's a harsh word. Amen? I mean, that's pretty harsh from Jesus. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, right? I wish you were cold or hot. But you're lukewarm, so I'm going to expel you from my mouth. So what is, it about this, what is it about this church? And how can a church get to a place where it brings such a harsh uh, condemnation, a rebuke, a scolding from Jesus? So before we can really understand what this imagery is all about, um, we need to have a little background on the city of Laodicea and the church at Laodicea. So Laodicea uh, is located in a region known as the Lycus River Valley. And uh, it's over there in modern day Turkey. And it's one of three sister cities. Now this is really important to understand as we try to apply what this message is. Laodicea was actually a, a, it's a, it was a, a trio of cities, Colossae, Heropolis, and Laodicea. Heropolis was about six miles away to the north, and Colossae, which is where we get the book, the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote, 
In fact, in the letter, the, the book to, of the Colossians, it mentions the church at Laodicea four times there. So these churches, these three churches were, were interconnected. Colossae was about 10 miles away from Laodicea to, to the east. And the reason that Jesus uses this imagery of hot, cold, and lukewarm uh, is because it's familiar to the people living in Laodicea. Just to the north, as I mentioned, um, of Laodicea is Heropolis. Now, Heropolis was well known for its hot mineral springs. It was so famous for these, these hot springs of water that Cleopatra and Mark Anthony would actually rendezvous there so that they could bathe in those, those hot, famous, legendary springs there. And it was believed that these hot waters in Heropolis had healing qualities. And people would travel there from all around the region, even all around the Roman Empire, to go there to, um, to soak their sore, their ailing bodies in those hot waters. In fact, those hot waters are still there today. Colossae, to the east, was actually a resort town. And the reason people went there as a resort town was because when the snow in the mountains near Colossae melted, the water would flow down into the city, providing people with freezing cold waters. And in the hot summer months, people would go there to enjoy the cold, refreshing water because they didn't have you know, refrigeration and freezers like we have today. So when you heard of a place that had pure, pristine, cold water in those hot summer months, I mean, people would, would, just, would just flock there, right? So the cold waters of Colossae were considered to be refreshing, revitalizing waters, and the waters of Heropolis, because they were hot, were believed to have soothing medicinal value. And this is what Jesus had in mind when he says, I wish you were hot or cold. Because the people there were very aware of, of the significance of those temperatures. And then there were the waters of Laodicea. Now, Laodicea did not have a very good natural water supply. And because Laodicea, as we'll soon see, was a growing, thriving commercial city, it was unable, the water supply there was unable to support the population and the growth there in the city. So what happened was the engineers in Laodicea actually constructed an aqueduct system to channel water in from the cities of Heropolis and Colossae. And it was an amazing engineering feat that, 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 that carried these, these waters from these cities for miles over the countryside. Unfortunately, by the time the water in the pipes left, you know, they left their destination and reached Laodicea, the hot water cooled and became lukewarm, and the cold water lost its frigid temperatures and became lukewarm. And not only was the water lukewarm, because the water was being transported in these clay ducts, it was stone, and then through the stone they had drilled these holes and they had put these clay ducts in there, the water picked up a horrible taste. 
And when people tasted the water that was transported through this piping system, it was so disgusting that they would immediately spit it out of their mouths. And even worse than that, the clay material they used in the aqueducts polluted the water with this calcareous impurities and, and bacteria which made the water actually unfit to drink. One historian said this, the water supply of Laodicea was derived from an artificial pipeline bringing water which was literally lukewarm and so impure as to having an emetic effect. What is emetic? An emetic substance is a substance that produces nausea and vomiting. These were the waters of Laodicea. And this is what, what, what lies behind the statement that Jesus made there in verse 16. He's describing the church at Laodicea and the effect that that church is having on Him. And He's saying to them that you are to Me what the waters of Laodicea are to you. You come to those waters out of the pipeline expecting hot water to soothe you and, and cold water to refresh you. And instead, what you get is something tepid and toxic and nauseating, so much so that you have to spit it out of your mouth. I want us to get the significance of this. What Jesus is saying to a church that bears His name, that worships Him, and that purports to preaching His Word. He's saying to that church, you make me sick. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> Amen? I mean, that's just some strong words. He's saying, I see your works. I see your ministries. But it nauseates me. I hear your worship and your praise. But it nauseates me. Your prayers, your Sunday services, it's nauseating to me. That's amazing, isn't it? That, it, that, it, that it, a church, that there, there's actually a church, or there are churches that actually make the Lord sick, that actually nauseate the Lord. And how does that import to us today in the 21st century? Are there churches today that bear His name, that purport to preach His Word, that even offer worship and praise to Him, that actually have the effect of nauseating Him to the point where He can no longer endure and needs to spew it out of His mouth? Are there churches that are obnoxious to heaven today and nauseate even more than that? Are we a lukewarm church? Am I a lukewarm Christian? Am I a lukewarm church leader? Am I a lukewarm pastor? I mean, this, these are the questions that we, we have to ask ourselves, understanding that the Lord included this in His Word for a reason. So that we could see that it's possible for some who bear His name 
to actually bring this kind of a response from him. So there's a few things to understand about being lukewarm. The first thing about lukewarm water to know is this. It doesn't start out lukewarm. It starts out hot or cold, and then it climatizes. It acclimates to its environment. It loses its heat. It loses its cold. And Jesus was basically saying, you have climatized. You have normalized. You have adapted to your environment, and it's nauseating me. That there seems to be no difference, no distinction between you and what's going on around you, outside you, in the world. And here's the thing. In order for water to resist climatizing and and to resist conforming, there must be some force, some influence that maintains the extreme temperatures of that water. There must be some force that keeps the water hot or keeps the water cold. Amen? Continually. Water can't keep itself hot. It can't keep itself cold. Its natural default is to simply reflect what's going on in the environment around it. So there must be some force that the water is exposed to to keep it hot or to keep it cold. Just like there must be some force in us or around us that keeps us from climatizing to the culture of this world. That's why we need to be in the Word of God. We need to be reading and hearing and listening to the Word of God. We need to have regular times of prayer and worship in our lives. Amen? And we need to submit ourselves to the preaching of the Word. We need to be intentional about that and deliberate about that and say, I need to get to the preaching of the Word and hear the Word of God because I feel myself climatizing to the environment. I feel myself downgrading. I feel myself adapting to the attitudes and the mindsets around me and I need to hear the Word. Amen? That's why I get concerned about when I, people don't come to church for, for you know, weeks and weeks and weeks. And I wonder what's going on because are they in the Word? Are they reading at home? Are they studying? Are they listening to the Lord? Are they having times of prayer and worship? I don't know, but it concerns me because I wonder, are they perhaps climatizing to the environment around them? Another thing about lukewarm water especially the water of Laodicea, it wasn't just the lukewarmness that was nauseating. It was the contamination in the water that occurred as a result of the lukewarmness. Lukewarm conditions make it possible for toxic impurities and bacteria to develop and thrive. Jesus was saying, because you lost the zeal for my word that purges you from false doctrine because you lost the fire of the Holy Spirit that gives you discernment against the lies of the world because you've lost the passion for my presence that resists the pull of the world and pushes you closer to me. The things of this world, the attitudes and the beliefs and the mindsets of this world have drifted into your midst and have settled into the culture of the church and have actually become offensive to me. That's what Jesus is saying. He was saying, when you gather to worship me and and you call for my presence in your midst, I'm actually offended when I get there. That's what he's saying. There's things that have taken hold in your culture. There are attitudes and mindsets and impurities that have, that have 
latch themselves to you that when I come, it's nauseating. And thirdly, it's important to know that lukewarm water may be good for some things, may be good for you know, washing clothes or taking a bath or watering you know, your garden, but it can still be nauseating to drink. Amen? Right? Jesus said, I know your works, but Laodicea church, you still make me sick. He said, you have programs. You feed the poor. You care for the hurting. You take care of the sick, but it's still offensive to me. Which means that all of the good works or all of those other good qualities cannot make up for those other toxic qualities that offend the Lord. That's what he said about Thyatira, if you remember a couple of weeks ago. No amount of good works will make up for a ministry that has compromised its mandate to preach the gospel, be salt and light in the world, and make disciples for Jesus Christ. Amen. There are a lot of churches today that have gotten caught up in a social gospel. They get caught up in all of the, the programs, right, which are good. Feeding the sick, taking care of the poor. They're, all of those things are important, but they're so caught up in the social aspects of the gospel that they have forgotten how to make disciples and preach the word and carve pagans out of sin and give them new life in Jesus Christ. And good works and good programs cannot be a substitute for the Great Commission. This is what happened in Laodicea. Instead of influencing their environment being salt and light, they became influenced by their environment. They adapted to their environment and became lukewarm. It's, it's the, think of it like this. It's the difference between being a thermometer and a thermostat. How many know the difference between a thermometer <laughs> and a thermostat? A thermometer measures the temperature of the room and then reflects it. It's basically just an indication of what the temperature is. You look at the thermometer and you can see the temperature of the room because it has adapted to it. It has conformed to it and now reflects it. A thermostat is what you use to control the temperature in the room, right? By turning a dial or adjusting, you know, the, the, the digital readout, you can make it either hot or cold, and the thermostat is what we are called to be. We're not called to be thermometers to reflect the temperature. We're called to be thermostats, to adjust, to be influences. Amen? Amen? That's why in our church we have such a passion for leadership training because we believe that all of us are called to be leaders. That doesn't mean you're supposed to have a title or a position necessarily. It means you are called to be an influencer, to be a thermostat in your environment. Amen? And God has put His Spirit. You might say, well, I don't feel strong enough to do that. You don't have to worry about that, right? In your weakness, He is made strong. That's why He gives us the Holy Spirit so that in those dark places, hallelujah, His presence, His Word, His anointing can come through us and affect change in the environment. Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Focus on that statement, the renewing of your mind. 
You ever get accused of having been brainwashed? <laughs> right? It's not necessarily a bad thing. Most of us, we needed our brainwashed, right? What he's saying here is that we must be careful to not allow our minds to be conformed to the perverse philosophies of this world and instead have our mind continually transformed, renewed. How? By the Word of God. And, and, and this is not one and done. You don't just read the Bible once and be like, okay, transformed, check that box. Well, no, no, no. Every I don't know about you. Let me say it like this. I don't know about you, but every day I need my mind to be renewed. Every day. Amen? I mean, listen, if you're going on social media and you're watching the, the, the news and the media narratives and you're, you know, Netflix and all that other stuff. Listen, if you're, if you're in this world, you're going to need your mind to be renewed every day. Every day. Amen. The renewing of your mind that you may prove the acceptable, perfect will of God. Laodicea is happening today. It's happening today. Churches, entire denominations, Christians, especially young people. I love the young people, but young people need to be aware that there is a spirit of conforming going on. There is a climatizing that is, and adapting to the environment that is happening today, where, where we are climatizing to our culture, we're conforming to culture rather than having our minds renewed by the Word of God. Entire denominations changing their bylaws and their belief systems to accommodate the delusions of this world so as not to offend anybody, but not realizing the whole time they're trying to not offend the world, they are nauseating Christ. Changing their bylaws, their constitutions to accommodate homosexuality, gay marriage, cohabitation, what is that, living together without being married, promiscuity, abortion, climatizing, losing their heat, and becoming lukewarm in this world. Jesus does not call us to be another thermometer in the world. He calls us to be thermostats, to be a source of gospel truth in a world a world that is fomenting delusion. I don't know about you, but every time I turn around, it's like, are you kidding me? The delusion, it's, it's remarkable. It's astounding what's going on in our, our culture right now. What's worse than that is what's happening in the church. I mean, I could sit here and, you know, we could, we could talk about what's going on in the world all day and you could all be like, amen, preach it, pastor. You know what I mean, that's easy. What, the, the, what, what's hard is to see what's happening in the church. It's how the church is just adapting to it. But we've got to be thermostats, not thermometers, right? That's why when the world says abortion is a woman's right to choose, we say no, abortion is the murdering of a human life. When the world says marriage is for, for anyone, a man can marry a man, a woman can marry a woman, we say no. God created marriage and God defined what marriage is 
that marriage is between a man and a woman in a heterosexual union for lifetime. Amen, right? The world says, well, you know, homosexuality, it's normal. Premarital sex, you know, it's just young people being young people. You know, porn is, you know, it's, it's, no big, it's no big deal, right? But we say, no, God defines in His Word the purpose of sex. It's created by God, given to man, as an expression of intimacy and fidelity between a man and a woman in the context of heterosexual marriage. What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about needing to have our minds renewed every day because the forces of this world are pushing against truth. When the world says, well, you know, gender is fluid, you know, you, however, you, if, you don't, if, you're, you know, if you were born a man, but if you feel like you're a woman, you can change, you know, your gender, or, you know, if you were born a woman, you feel like you're, you're a man, you know, and we, we should be telling eight-year-olds and 12-year-olds that, and, you know, we should be providing hormone, hormone therapy, and, and we should be doing, you know, surgical procedures, and, and we look at all this stuff, and we say no, we say no. Not because of our opinion, not because of what we think or believe, but because the Word of God tells us that He decides gender, that He has created them male or female, that God has given each person an identity as either man or woman. He's just, and to reject that is to, is to defy the authority of God in your life, is to reject the authority of God. So we say no. Right? And this is what Jesus means when he says, don't be lukewarm. He's, he's saying, don't adapt, don't conform, don't climatize. He's saying to the church, you need to be a refreshing, healthy, life-giving representation of the Word and the truth of God in this world that is being deceived and bound up in delusion. This is what it means to be salt and light. Salt prevents decay. Light dispels darkness amen it's really not that complicated okay and it's not just preaching the gospel that jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead it's speaking truth to culture and it's 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 pulling down strong now listen it's pulling down strongholds of delusion that create a cultural resentment against the truth of god and bind people in delusion that's what paul said about pulling down strongholds, cultural bulwarks that create a resentment in the culture and a, and a defiance in the culture, a defiant attitude in the culture against God. And if we just sit by with our mouths closed saying, well, we don't want to offend anybody, we don't want to start any trouble, then what are we doing? We're enabling it. Amen. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the book that I wrote, Pressure Points, and um, I want, you, I want you to, to get this book not because I'm getting any profits from the book. I am not getting any profits at all from the book. I wrote this book not for profit, not to get some kind of a publishing contractor. I wrote it. It's self-published simply for you, for the church. That's why it was written. To clarify for us in the Mission Church in an age of confusion, what the Bible says on certain cultural pressure points. Because I want our church, I want you to clearly understand where we stand on some of these issues today. Because there's too much 
confusion. And too many, and it frustrates me to hear leaders when they're asked questions about where do you stand on some of these issues, and they give these, these weak non-answers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, you ask them, where do you stand on poverty? They'll tell you where they stand. Where do you stand on human trafficking? They'll tell you where they stand on human trafficking. Where do you stand on transgenderism? Well, I don't, I don't want to really get into that. It might offend too many people. Where do you stand on, you know, same-sex marriage? Well, that's a private conversation, you know. Well, th this isn't a private conversation. This is a public conversation, right? And you're wondering, come on, speak some truth here, because our culture is, is circling the drain. All right, I got to get off the soapbox because I'm just, I'm just, I'm stuck right now. So I got to get off, okay? But I, I just, let me just say this. Get the book, please, okay? Again, I'm not getting any money from the book, all right? It's, it just goes right back to the church. We put them out there in the, in the, in the lobby. If you haven't gotten a copy, get the copy. And it just helps you to get some clarity on what the Bible says on these issues today. Because listen, the world right now is pressuring the church to capitulate and to accommodate and even to advocate for certain belief systems and mindsets that are contrary to the Word of God. And we're seeing today the church climatizing to the culture around us, right? Amen? So Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, verse 17, He says, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Another distinctive feature of Laodicea was its, its location as a major intersection of all points north, south, east, and west. And because of this location, it became a major trade center, and a lot of wealth flowed into, trade goods and wealth flowed into Laodicea. And it had basically three major industries. It was most famous for its wool industry, for textiles. It had a wool industry there. And it was known for its production of a soft, shiny, black wool. It was used for carpets and clothing and furniture. And it was in high demand all throughout the Roman Empire. The city was also known, Laodicea was also known for a medical school. It had a medical school. And in this medical community, they developed an, an ointment, a kind of salve that was used for eye ailments. And because the city was very wealthy and had so much traffic coming through it, they had developed a successful ancient banking system in Laodicea. The economy was strong in the city. The people were rich who lived there. So they became a source of lending throughout, throughout that, that region. But Jesus used these aspects of their success in their culture to call them out. He said, you have beautiful black woolen garments, but you're naked. He said, you have wealth and houses and lands, but you're poor. He says, you have ointment to cure diseases and heal eye infections, but you're blind. He says, you have all the world says that you should have to be happy, but you're miserable and you're wretched. Meaning without Christ, without Christ, without a true relationship with Christ and being right with God. I want to tell you something. There's no greater feeling in this world than to know that you are right with God. Amen? Amen? Amen. To know that you are right 
with God. I mean, you can face just about anything in this world. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And some of you have gone through some pretty hard circumstances. And the one thing that keeps us sane and keeps us strong and, and allows us to have joy is the fact that we know we are right with God, which means nothing happens to us without His grace, without His sovereignty, without His wisdom being provided in our lives. That's a good place to be. Amen? Amen. That's why we shout. That's why we praise. That's why we sing. And if you're new to our church and you're thinking, man, these people are weird, the way they sing and shout and clap. Listen, it's not because we have nice houses or nice cars or nice clothes or even good health or that our lives are without problems. We shout and we sing and we clap and we say amen and we, we rejoice because we know that we cannot make it without Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. And we have been through loss, and we have been through pain, and we've been through suffering, and some of us have been through the shattering of our families and our marriages and divorce. Some have been through prison and seen family members be put in prison. Some of us have gone through cancer, and we've gone through horrible health situations. But had it not been for Jesus, for Jesus, I don't know how people go through some of these things and don't make it, and make it without Jesus. I just don't know how they do it without Jesus. Amen? It's because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds my future. And life is worth the living just because He lives. Come on, give the Lord a praise. All right, let me bring this to a close. As harsh as this letter may seem, notice what he says in verse 19. Verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. He says, it's because I love you that I confront you. It's because I, I love you. You know, yes, I, I accept you as you are, but I love you too much to leave you the way that you are. Hello? Does that make sense? The people say, well, Jesus accepts me the way, the, the way that I am. Well, yes, he does accept you the way that you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. It's called sanctification, right? Because I love you that I confront you and I speak so harshly to you. And then it's, that's, that's preceded by what he says in verse 18. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. This is the amazing grace of our amazing God. He starts out by telling them how disgusted and offended he is. And he threatens to vomit them out of his mouth. But after saying that, you see a change in his tone. From that of rebuke and condemnation to that of love and grace and invitation because he loves them. Because He loves them. Despite their failure, He loves them. He wants them. He invites them to be restored. This is the grace of our God. And He says, you may be rich. You may feel like you've got it all together in this world, but I've got gold for you. I've got true gold for you. The kind of gold that, that gives you eternal life. Not the gold of this world. The gold of eternity. Hallelujah. He says, you may have that black silky wool, but I've got white garments for you. 
Not the black wool of this world that you've been clothing yourself in, but I've got a way to cover your shame, your guilt, your brokenness, your pain, to give you a new identity, a new hope, and a new outlook on life. Hallelujah. You may have medicine for the eyes, but I'll anoint your eyes with a new eye salve to open your eyes so that you can see all that God has for you and you can discern all of the delusions of this world. How many remember that day when you came to Christ and it was like your eyes were opened? Does anybody remember that time? I remember so many years ago like it was yesterday. When I came to Christ and my eyes were open and I began to see and recognize the delusion and the deceptions of the world that I had been living in and couldn't see it. But when Christ came into my life, it's like the curtains were pulled back and the lights went on and I could see for the first time in my life the truth of God in this world. And that's what he says. Come to me. I've got, I've got ointment for your eyes. And then in verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And, and to him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Can I have the worship team join me up here, please? He says, I stand at the door and knock. Understand, this is not a word for unbelievers. Although you could use this invitation as a message for unbelievers, but this is Christ describing Himself as an outsider to His own church. Desiring to be invited back in. Isn't it interesting? He could have kicked that door down. He's Jesus. He could have ripped the whole wall off the front of the thing. But He doesn't do that. He allows us to choose. This is Christ knocking on the closed hearts of those who claim to be His, but have turned their backs on Him for the acceptance of this world and have pushed Him away and shut Him out. Christ is calling those believers who have drifted into the world, wandered away from His Word, adapted to the surrounding culture. He's calling them back to himself. This is the incredible love and grace of our God. Amen? As a father who pities his children, he says, I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to have a relationship with you. I'm not trying to push you away. I'm not trying to hurt you or offend you. He's saying, I, you need to see what's going on and open your eyes to it and invite me back in. Let's stand together. Church, today, let's invite him back in. That's not to say that we're all lukewarm. That's not to say that we've climatized to the world. That's to say, Lord, I want to reaffirm my fidelity to you. Lord, I want to, I want to reaffirm in a world of delusion, in a world of defiance and deception, Lord, I want to reaffirm my devotion to you, God. Not to the opinions of people, not to the prevailing narrative of the media, not to what's going on on social media, Lord. My fidelity is to you. My devotion is to you. Lord, your word is what matters most in my life. Let's do that. Amen? Let's recenter. Let's take a moment as we worship the Lord in closing to recenter our lives on Him and say, Jesus, I'm going right back out into that world today. Lord, my ears are going to hear it. My eyes are going to see it. I'm going to be all around it. But Lord, in the midst of it all, Lord, I want to be hot for you, God. I want to be hot for you, Lord God. I, Lord, I want to be like a refreshment.
another thermometer that's reflecting the attitude.